<laughs> You're listening to the one of us.net podcast network. One of us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio based or banner ads, but on a case by case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at one of us net at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at $2, $5, 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. Howdy, podcast listeners. I'm Trevor T. Trujillo. And I'm Matt Foster, and together we co-host the Nighthawks Podcast, a movie-centric podcast that covers just about everything. Big films, Citizen Kane, Casablanca, The Avengers, Star Wars. The films that aren't as big on budget, but we still love. Found Footage 3D, The Big Lebowski. Not to mention films from distant shores. Lone Wolf and Cub, Dearest Sister. Plus, we have some great guests like Alamo Drafthouse founder Tim Lee. Episode 7. Dr. Strange writer C. Robert Cargill. Episode 100. Director Stephen DiGennaro. Episode 53, Episode 100. Or you can listen to any of the over 120 other episodes we have on deck for you. Instant Classics. Find us on all good podcatchers. Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible, Spotify. Or at our website, nighthawkspodcast.com. Join our cult. Probably not a real cult. It's a real cult. Hooray! Delicious Volume 1, Life Tastes Good, is finally at Amazon United States. What is delicious, you ask? Imagine a land where all your favorite foods live as human girls. Here in charming a la carte, under the floating city of heavenly delight, we meet Ramen, a young cook trying to run a restaurant with her family of pastas as they end up in all sorts of wacky adventures and hijinks as these strong, eccentric characters pursue their dreams and passions. Delicious is a beautifully drawn comedy series which is now finally available to buy in the United States. Click on the banner on one of us, order today and join in the fun now because Delicious Volume 2, Yum 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 is coming really soon. A perfect gift for your child or those of you who are forever young at heart. One of us strongly recommends this one. And just in time for Thanksgiving, we have a new horror anthology that was released weeks ago now by the amazing Guillermo del Toro, The Cabinet of Curiosities. It's an anthology horror uh, show that was uh, premiered on Netflix a few episodes at a time. It's all out now because it's uh, November something, uh, but... Uh, it's uh, it's it's great to have all these different directors. It feels like it's a, a throwback to the the Twilight Zone, to uh, the Outer Limits, and really focusing on giving uh, directors really kind of like the they're almost like the stars because of course the the lovable and fantastic Guillermo del Toro uh, every opening is a very Hitchcockian open uh, where he introduces what the story could be about the metaphors and he says and tonight's uh, show is directed by so and so and then we go into the story it's a great great uh, just comforting feeling even though we're going to see something very macabre from H.P. Lovecraft to original stories um, but I am very happy to talk about it today with a, a couple of great uh, people. I have, uh, my, my name, of course, is Wright, and I have Drew. Hello. And I have Trevor. I stand by thankful for this spooky offering. 
so it, it's it's interesting. It, since this is an anthology show, we're gonna maybe touch, uh, you know, briefly on each of the episodes, or maybe even just talk about some of our our favorite ones, because uh, there are eight episodes that were released, and they're directed by different people. All these uh, directors normally wrote it themselves. Sometimes they're actually based on again H.P. Lovecraft stuff, but also there's a couple of short stories that were written by Guillermo del Toro himself. Um, so there are. Eight episodes. I'll list the directors real quick. There's Anna Lily Ampour. I'm terrible at pronouncing names sometimes. I'm glad I'm coring this. Uh, we have uh, Panos Cosmatos, uh, Catherine Hardwick, Jennifer Kent, uh, Vincenzo Natale, Guillermo Navarro, uh, David Pryor, and Keith Thomas. And um, it, it's a wide variety of directors, too. Some people that we've you know definitely seen some of their feature films, like Panos Cosmatos did Mandy and Beyond the Black Rainbow. Jennifer Kent did The Babadook and The Nightingale, which is extremely underrated if anyone hasn't seen that. I love and, The Nightingale, uh, yeah. It's great. Jesus Christ, it's intense. And uh, Anna uh, Lily Ampour did uh, The Girl Walks on Home at Night, The Bad Batch. She did the Blood Moon movie just uh, about earlier this year. And Catherine Hardwick, of course. She's big and famous because of... Uh, she did uh, some of the, uh, what's it called? The Sparkle Vampire movies, right? Twilight. Twilight, there you go. I would love it if they just called the Sparkle movies. It's the Sparkle movies, right? <laughs> sparkle, but... Sparkle, Chomp, Chomp. <laughs> um, but there are definitely a couple of standout uh, episodes, at least in my eyes, that I'd love to talk about. And uh, but yeah, let's let's go into the. And I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you guys... Um, first off what's your your favorite episode let's do that one and uh, and let's go from there drew what is your favorite episode of the cabinet of curiosities i think we should start with with what's what's my favorite intro from guillermo del toro <laughs> he's, Ooh, yeah he's, sure he's, he's, he's i mean i mean every it's it all it all kind of um you know blends together a little bit but every time i feel like del toro like you know loved the idea of playing Hitchcock and then once he actually got on camera he was like let's get this over with as quickly as possible <laughs> and I remember like when when I first heard about Cabinet of Curiosities I immediately thought of you know the coffee table book that he has um mm -hmm. that really just goes through like all of his different projects and I love I love the book um it just kind of shows like his journal pictures and and um I and it talks about Bleak House you know his actual house um that's just filled with all kinds of props and memorabilia from, you know, horror history. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be some kind of like deep dive into um, Del Toro's world, like actually like in his house. I thought it was going to be like a reality. Oh, like a documentary. Oh, yeah, I'm just, wow. I'm just, I, I just. I am Guillermo Del Toro and this is my episode of Cribs. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was episode to episode kind of blown away, like how good every entry is um into this i mean i think um as far as like favorite episodes i think like the, actually the first one is definitely a favorite and and that uh guillermo davaro directed who's like one of his del toro's like longtime cinematographers but lot 36 yeah. i thought yeah. was really good drew i'm with you this this was one of my favorites too and even from the beginning from that intro it was it it harkened back to the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits, and even going later, two tales from the crypt or Masters of Horror, where it's just sure, oh, slipping into just a hot jacuzzi, just this this is comfortable territory, this feels good, this is something I've missed that I haven't had in a while, and then when it kicks off with this episode, 
Uh, you've got Tim Blake Nelson in here killing it from a performance aspect. Uh, it's really well put together. The cinematography is great. The direction's great. Uh, the sound is creepy. Like, a lot of attention to detail. These are very curated and cultivated short films. And uh, I, I was just blown away. But this first episode was such a welcome breath of fresh air that it's hard to top. Um, and certainly, the, Tim Blake Nelson is the standout here. But this whole series has a cast that's really impressive. Oh, yeah. Let's let's talk about, uh, I mean, yeah, Tim Blake Nelson, of course. Uh I think that people can agree that the like the fan favorite it seems like is going to be the autopsy the the third episode and um with F Murray Abraham who is I guess always incredible in anything that he ever does this one thing to say about He's the so show is that yeah. Jesus Christ like the, the the what's interesting about the show is that it's not necessarily scary and it's more in line with the feeling that Guillermo del Toro movies have is that it's more like subtly, um, you know, just unsettling. And like there's what he loves to always talk about is how, uh, you know, the humans are the monsters, really. And, uh, you know, basically just Frankenstein all the time and uh, and how the monsters are just more mis misunderstood. Uh, now, granted, there are some of these stories where it's, you know, very much. No, the monster is a monster. But um, it's it, like even with the autopsy, at least I think that builds almost the most dread that I felt in any of the episodes where it's F. Murray Abraham, who is a um, an, uh, mortician who is uh, uh, called into the police to help out with these uh, people who were died in a mysterious uh, mining accident. And uh, the more that he is cutting them open, he finds very like strange things. And of course, one one thing leads to another and aliens. And so you're just like, whoa, what's going on here? But it's such an interesting take on it. And it's really just a two person show. Like he is by himself in the the makeshift morgue in the mine, uh, you know, dissecting the bodies, figuring this all out. And he's talking to himself in a tape recorder for his friend, who's the chief of police, who's um, wonderfully played by someone. I know who he is. He played Dr. Senator in season four of, ah, Glenn Turman. Uh, and he, uh, great actor. And, um, but yeah, anyway, so it, it's it, that's an awesome just episode. And like a lot of Guillermo del Toro uh show or movies that a lot of things end up uh, a lot worse than where we began and uh, but still has like bitter sweetness to the end of them um, which I think is uh, definitely evident in the last episode written and directed by uh, Jennifer Kent the, from the Babadook uh, she adapted a story um, from Guillermo del Toro who was about this couple who are uh, ornithologist I think in like what the 50s or 60s and they have a chance to go to this island to um, look into these new birds that are in this little area and they're slowly being haunted by something that happened in the house that they are staying in and you also find out that they had a daughter that uh, passed away so they're haunted by those memories as well and they're just becoming more and more detached from one another but it's just this like this very somber and you know tragic story not necessarily scary there's a couple of moments where like slightly jump scares i wasn't really was like there but what, what did you guys think about that what do you think about like the horror of this horror anthology you know it was it was kind of all over the place and i mean that in a good way 
Mm-hmm. I mean that in that there is going to be something here to please virtually everyone if horror is your thing. Um, y- you look at the murmuring, which is Jennifer Kett's episode, mm-hmm. which is very deliberate, very pensive. It's not necessarily a horror story as much as it is a ghost story. And there's a lot of that in play here. Jennifer Kent's episode, by the way, stunning. Absolutely stunning from a a direction aspect, from a performance aspect. Uh, But it's the one that I I had to go back and check my notes and go, now, which one was this? Sure. And that's because I was kind of here for the Pickman's model and uh, Dreams in the Witch House. I was here for some kind of cool period H.P. Lovecraft. Pickman's model uh, stars, by the way, Crispin Glover, who has not aged since he was in Willard. (laughs) That's the scariest part of the entire anthology is that Crispin Glover has not aged. I do want to shout out specifically uh, Panos Cosmotos, 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 episode, yeah, Cosmotos, uh, The Viewing. Jesus Christ. Unexpected. I wasn't sure what I was getting into until the very end, and then it all kind of coalesced for me. And it, I was commenting off mic, it's very weird to have this one piggybacking on the two Lovecraft episodes, because this almost touches on the cosmic horror aspect of Lovecraft better than either of those. Right, yeah. With a surprise star turn from a very capable and very funny Eric Andre in this episode. Yeah. There, there's a lot of great character actors in this, uh, specifically Peter Weller as this yeah. um, kind of smooth, eccentric, crazy, weird uh, billionaire that's asked these four people who are experts in their crafts uh, of whatever they do, either author or mystics or nuclear scientists or um, uh, music producers, as Eric Andre plays, and the the whole thing as an audience member you don't know what's going on but what he does so well is set the tone of how unnerving and just unsettling everything is the way that he shoots things and uh and how they even the characters that are in the uh in that have been invited to Peter Weller's uh, crazy mansion is that they don't even know why they are there either they just know that they were invited by you know rich billionaire Peter Weller and uh the whole like first 45 minutes is just them kind of discussing a lot of things about themselves and then doing copious amounts of drugs <laughs> and uh which <laughs> as is great. one does as one does uh with peter weller um and uh and then like the last 15 minutes it's just like it 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 throws the spaghetti at the wall and it just punches right through it and you're just like whoa what the fuck is happening now and it's just it goes nuts it goes zero to 60 very quickly and it earns it. It's kind of hysterical, oddly enough, and uh, and just beautifully done. How like the 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 pacing and the timing. It's just it really builds it up. The other thing that I thought was very interesting is that every episode is only about an hour at most. Some of them are like forty five minutes, fifty minutes, but everything's about an hour. And but everything felt like almost two hours long because they everything was so well written that you got to know every single character in and out it's it's it incredible what they did uh with every episode i mean even some of the ones that i i i mean i cared for i thought every one of the episodes were great there's some of the ones that i uh you know like less than the others 
but um, I was still kind of blown away. It's like, I know everything about these characters. This is one of the most important, mo- this is the most important moment of their lives that we are experiencing right now. And it's filled with dread and sometimes cosmic terror and all these cool things. Like, I can't believe they did this so fucking well. Yeah, that's, what, that's what's true about the, how, how, how good this anthology is, is that if you look at all these stories, you kind of think, like, well, maybe I'd want to see a feature film version of one of these, but mm-hmm. they're all really complete. It doesn't, doesn't really it doesn't really feel like that. You don't really th- think that you, you need more. Um, but with the viewing specifically, um, I, I, I think that was a standout for me. Just, just, you know, really kind of, I've always loved the vibe of Penos Cosmanos and, you know, uh, every every weird thing that he does and it's still it's still incredibly surprising that he's the son of george cosmatos who directed tombstone you know but right. um so i'd love to hit him to do a western at, at, at some point but uh oh but my just, god I, I, I but i love that like the peter weller in the viewing you know not to give too much away but he almost ends up kind of being a a, um, a new version of robocop in a, in a in a strange way but um at, at the end. <laughs> ah, yeah. you know but uh but yeah, I did. I did like actually like the. I wanted to touch on, um, you know, the the two Lovecraft you know stories going back to back, and I thought it was cool that they did that, where they just had like two stories. Mm-hmm. They have the two Lovecraft stories leading into the viewing, which I guess you could kind of look at it as you know like a, a trilogy. But but to, what, what did you feel, what did you guys feel about the Lovecraft stories? I just. I, you know, just the fact that Del Toro has been trying to get like you know in the Mountains of Madness done for a long yeah. time, and and there's been so many you know, Lovecraftian, you know, cosmic horror, um, you, you know, um, films that are being made that aren't like strictly like Lovecraft adaptations. And these two yeah. were, um, I had mixed feelings about them. I personally, again, I, I know I'm going to probably say this about every episode in a lot of ways, but I actually kind of loved how subdued they were. I, cause I haven't read uh, much of H.P. Lovecraft at all, and um, I, I've always assumed there's like there's squids everywhere, and uh, <laughs> and so I I really cared that it was. I, I thought it was really cool how it wasn't necessarily that, but it, this is kind of like unknowing madness that's like that is given to this world and experiencing it you go basically crazy. And I know that's one of the things that um, he describes in all those books. Like, you know, he it's like a past that he had. But then again, it was like very, you know, what he write books in 1950, 40s or 50s, something like that. And so 20s. him trying to do 20s, 20s. So him trying to explain like, you know, one of the ancient ones. And it's like, well, eh, I don't know. But uh, so if you look at it, you just go crazy. You're like, oh, fuck, that's that's really scary. And so they kind of the same way. And I thought it was really um, it felt like art housey H.B. Lovecraft for those two. And it, it really won me over. Definitely the uh, the Pickman's model one. I thought that was a really cool idea of basically a painting. Just you see it and you are slowly going crazy like a slow burn insanity and you don't know why and everything else is being ruined around you and it really struck me hard because it actually reminded me of something when I was a child when it was actually my cousin painted something that was like an abstract painting too it wasn't like you know realistic or anything like that and for some reason as a kid it terrified me and so when I ever saw it I just you know it was just stained in my skull and it was like I can't be around that. I can't be in the same room as that thing. So I definitely knew what the, that the main character was going through in a lot of ways. Like you got to get the fuck out of there, run! And, uh, <laughs> and so it it was interesting that 
the witch house one with uh, uh what's his face from Harry Potter um Rupert Grant Rupert Grant um I I thought it was like the the weaker of the two um but I still thought it was great and interesting it just towards the end it felt a little bit more mean spirited where you're just like oh man because again I mean not every one of these episodes well I don't think any of them really <laughs> except for maybe the murmuring ends well for anyone. I, I'm with you. I, I think Dreams in the Witch House was probably the weaker of the two. Mm-hmm. And it runs into the same problem that the other adaptation of Dreams in the Witch House for Masters of Horror runs into, which is that realized as an effect, Brown Jenkin or Jenkin Brown, however you reckon it, is just a really silly effect when it's realized on screen. Mm-hmm. It's much scarier to let your head fill in those blanks when he says, you see it and you go insane than it is to actually put a rodent with a human face on screen and make it look effective. Um, it it does get some help from the fact that this is not entirely played for horror. There are some good laughs in here, some well-deserved yeah. laughs. And I think that helped it along. But overall, Pickman's model just seemed to strike at the that theme of insanity and losing your grip on, in, on sanity that... Uh, you know, runs throughout Lovecraft, and and it gave me more of a satisfied Lovecraft feel when I walked away from it. Well, that let's go into final thoughts, uh, Drew. Why don't you lead the way? Um, well, I think I think this is this is uh, you know the best horror anthology that's come out in a, in, a, in a long in a long time. Um, I I I love it. It's and, and I love the the um, the talent that that has come aboard to to do it. Um, and I'm already excited for for the second season of it. Um, and I yeah. think this is actually one that I, I I will go back and 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 pick and choose a few of these and and watch them again. Um, and I actually would like to go back and, and watch that kind of that one two punch of the Lovecraft stories again because those for me were like kind of the weakest of the bunch. I think just as far as like the, just the, I guess the flow of the series. Um, definitely, it was definitely will rock uh, the Panos Cosmatos uh, one. You know, has a pre-show to Mandy, um, so good at some point, or Beyond the Black Rainbow or something. But uh, yeah, and 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 uh, I, I feel like I'll, I'll revisit these just because I'm I'm just really interested in these filmmakers, and and I think that's really why that you know Del Toro has really set himself apart. You know, with this anthology, is because just the, the the amount of talent that's that's amassed in this, um, mm-hmm. and I think it's you know. It, once all these people said like what Netflix is doing an anthology and Del Toro is doing it sure I'll do that um so I think he he, he was you know really able to, to to get um an incredible group of people together and and I'm already I know they're already talking about like you know season two and it's such a fun thing to to, to think about like what's your wish list for director for, for season two um so I'm, I'm I'm all I'm all aboard um you know continuing this in I guess we'll have to wait till next Halloween or probably a couple of Halloweens from now to, to watch the uh, the next the next version of it. But uh, I think it's just it's also just just for people that that have that maybe aren't that familiar with some of these filmmakers. It's such a good you know business card for these these filmmakers. Oh you know? yeah, like, you know, and just be like, it's like especially like somebody like Panos Cosmatos or you know even Jennifer Kent too. Where it's, you know if you if you haven't seen some of their films and and you're you're kind of feeling the vibe or like, you know, Anna Lily, I'm in poor, like all those people, like, you know, anything that you, um, it's just nice that if you're, if you're discovering these filmmakers for the first time, they really do have a a great selection of films that you can go back to and and discover. So I think it's exciting for people to kind of, 
you know, maybe maybe discover these filmmakers in that way. I will give it ten out of ten cabinets. Nice, nice. Trevor, what is your what are your final thoughts? For final thoughts, I want to throw out to a couple of the episodes we didn't touch on Graveyard Rats, which has some absolutely fantastic creature effects in it. Yep. Uh, shout out to that one. It was a lot of fun, and it was a great aperitif to follow up uh, with that really just pensive and very intense Lot 36. Um, I also wanted to shout out uh, The Outside, which was on a Lily Amirpour's episode. Um for striking a, an interesting and brave tone, this one is based on a web comic. I saw, and, I read about that. Yeah, yeah, it's very stylistic. Very, uh, I don't want to say it's out of step with the other ones because each one has its own unique vision. But this one is probably the most out of bounds with the rest of them, and that I say that to be positive. Um, it's really funny. Martin Starr is in here as a supporting role. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kate Micucci, I think I'm saying that right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from Garfunkel and Oates is the lead <laughs> and does a stellar job of bringing this very nebbish, uh, mousy character to life. Um, overall, this was a, a, a fantastic, fantastic uh, horror anthology series. Uh, I will be going back to this one. Each of these deserves kind of more. Uh, meditation than I gave it on first blush. I kind of powered through these for the sake of the review, and I'm looking forward to going back and kind of fully digesting them. Um, if anything, I'd say that this would excel with one of those uh, broken down release models where they don't drop the whole season at once, and it gives you some time to kind of meditate on them. I would even say in the future. Uh, from week to week instead of, you know, two episodes a day. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm, I'm giving this one uh, unqualified uh, 10 out of 10 little carven figurines of uh, film directors. <laughs> now, those are collector's items. If uh, I've got to say, do you think the individual directors get to take those home? Oh, you or, know Guillermo is, is better, keeping those fuckers. He, yeah, does like... Del Toro just have them in a cabinet somewhere? Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely in Del Toro. And is that somewhere. better? <laughs> I I I love this uh, a lot as well, and I think that um the, the the autopsy maybe is probably like overall the best one, but I think um what affected me the most was probably the murmuring because. I was crying at the end of it. Uh, and I don't do that too often with, with things that I'm watching, especially with like horror anthology. But what it feels like with this whole show is that it's high class, uh, like tales from the crypt because it has the same kind of like sarcastic humor that, uh, that tales of the crypt has, but not as crass by any means, but, um, it is very pointed and, um, at, at times will very biting, but uh, it is, it's like you said earlier, Drew, this is like a calling card for all of these directors to showcase their talents. Everyone in it is giving 100%. I was thinking about this when I was watching it, even though I wasn't too thrilled with the Anna Lilian Poor uh, episode, but I kept on thinking like, oh my God, she would maybe be interesting to direct like some episodes in Fargo season five. Because like, even like the way that Martin Starr was like acting in it and then just the whole characters have everyone was very funny and weird. It's like, oh, that would be a really inspired choice. But I'm like, oh, do I really want that? But it's a good call. Yeah. Uh, and I I also think, I mean, well, the the viewing, uh, the Panos Cosmatos episode is probably just like another 
just like secret fave of mine because it's just so weird and up my alley and the music is fucking baller uh in that episode and everyone in is great so i would highly recommend it you could watch it any time of the year even two and a half weeks into november it's great to watch with the entire family so i'm going to give it 10 out of 10 um Oh, buckets of cocaine. You're probably snorting right now listening to this review on a couch with your favorite friends and probably Peter Weller.